Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Okay. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in and a big welcome to Jen Capstraw, today's guest on Women in B2B Marketing. Um, Everybody welcome Jen. She is, for the last two years, has been fractional evangelist at her own company, Idea Empire. She's also very well known as president and co-founder of Women of Email and co-host and co-creator of acclaimed podcast, Humans of Email, which everybody should tune into. I will be tomorrow. So everybody listen on in and welcome, Jen. Thank you so much for joining. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Thank you for the plug, Jane. Appreciate it. (laughs) Always. And it'll be in show notes, everybody, too. Quick links. (laughs) Amazing to have you. But let's see. What I'd like to start out with is kind of typical interview style. Let's get some background all about Jen and how you got into email marketing and everything in B2B. But I saw through some LinkedIn stalking that you started out in media and reporting. Is that accurate? Did I take that right? Journalism? Yes. I worked in radio and TV right out of school and I spent about five years on that career. So once upon a time, I was the Virginia lottery ball babe. Wow. And I, <laughs> I was a traffic reporter. I was a news reporter. I had my own morning show on a hundred thousand watt station in the Savannah market. I worked in the Richmond market and I actually, by the age of 25, I was assistant news director of a seven station radio group and the recipient of six Associated Press Awards for excellence in journalism. And then I quit it all for a career in email. (laughs) 2002, sent your first email and it changed your life. (laughs) It did, but I certainly didn't realize it at the time. And the email that I sent in 2002, I was at a nonprofit at the time. It was so ugly. Did you stumble across the article that had a screen grab of it? Because I have the HTML. It's horrendous. (laughs) But it's what I could create with what I knew and what I had. I used Microsoft front page to create that email. And it didn't have an unsubscribe link because... I mean, first of all, why would anyone want to unsubscribe from my email? But secondly, it wasn't the law and it didn't even occur to us that that should be an option in 2002. So email was just a part of my job in marketing and communications for years, Uh, eventually became a focus at a B2B company after I relocated to New York City. And then eventually that became everything. I fell into an email strategy role at an agency and I was like, a whole job could just be email? That's a thing? Yeah. And I never turned back. Love it. How do you feel about email marketing now being part of life cycle marketing? That kind of rebrand that I've seen come about in the past couple of years. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Email marketing is the one channel that's going to be appropriate for virtually every brand. Not every channel is a fit for everyone, 
But email, the channel you own, is always going to work and it's got incredible ROI. It's cheap. It is extremely cheap compared to your other marketing channels and highly effective. And depending on what stat you want to look at, and I've got I've got some hot takes on, on stats and reports, but it's often reported that for every dollar you spend on email, you stand to make 37 to 42 dollars in return. And it's a it's a disrespected channel. It's not sexy. And people underestimate the complexities and the possibilities. And even when email is mediocre or even bad, it still gets results. So when it's good, it's incredible. And I love it. Like the people who are deeply embedded in the email space are absolute nerds. Like we are freakishly enthusiastic about email. There's just something that brings us all together because it requires a lot of problem solving and a mix of right brain, left brain, creativity and analytics and problem solving. And even if you lean more to the creative side, it is definitely beneficial to have some tech skills as well. So it attracts a very specific type of person and you fall into it. Nobody chooses it. And you either run screaming or you go, this is great. I love this. Let me keep yeah. doing this. And that's what happened to me. So true. Cause you don't, maybe now they do. I haven't checked in a while, but you don't really go to school for email marketing. Now they are back oh. when I was in school, there wasn't even <laughs> digital marketing classes, but now there of course is that, but it's very general broad. They probably touch on email to a degree, but you're right. I do think it's often disrespected which is ironic because it's probably the only marketing channel that everybody utilizes. All other channels, it's very hit or miss, right? Like, are, do you run paid search ads, pay, paid media of any kind? Do you do podcasting or influencer marketing? Those are yes and no, a mixed bag at different companies. But email, every company does email. So it mm-hmm. should be the holy grail and revered as such, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And everybody really leaned strongly into email during lockdown and those mm-hmm. times of uncertainty, you know, air quotes, because we didn't really know what else to do. There was a lot of panic and mistakes were made. There were a lot of really bad email campaigns going out that weren't relevant or useful to people. And But brands figured it out. They figured out that it is really powerful. It is really reliable. And it is where you should invest a lot of energy. And so demand for email talent has just blasted off. And email talent is pretty rare. And so it's driven up compensation in our space. And we've seen compensation kind of go up dramatically across the board for marketing jobs since 2020. But email in particular, is it's, it requires an expertise that is hard to find. Mm-hmm. Do you find, because I've seen this myself a little bit, but do you find it easier to push for or more growth, I guess, in B2C in that world for email marketing, where it's it's definitely a necessity to have a dedicated person on email or team versus in the B2B world, I've experienced at least personally that it, it's a position to fight for because it's it's kind of known as something someone else can handle email on the team. It doesn't have to be a dedicated person or team for email. That's what I've seen. But is that accurate or do you think it's just an outlier that I've seen or definitely a bigger market for email marketing and B2C? Email is extremely critical to B2B success and it is yeah. not always utilized the right way. But in B2B, 
In B2C, what you're thinking of is, is promotional campaigns, right? So it's it's a no-brainer. If you're e-com, you, you've got to have those campaigns. It's important. They're going to invest money in that because they see very direct returns on a campaign. It's harder to quantify with B2B, but it has incredible value. And B2B companies are going to run the gamut from like very small, very minimal budget to like huge, sophisticated SaaS companies that often will have that dedicated email talent or someone who is at least uh, tasked with lifecycle marketing and email being the majority of that or CRM in email being the majority of that. So it kind of runs the gamut and people who are at some of these smaller companies in less sexy verticals, they tend to be generalists, right? That those companies are not investing a ton of money into marketing. They are looking to sales to really drive conversions and the big dollars. And sometimes they're just not utilizing email to tee up those leads for sales, to find those leads, to identify them, to nurture them, and to get them into sales's hands ready to go. So, and then there's also the power struggle, right? In certain environments, sales and marketing are not playing nice. They feel yeah. disrespected, unappreciated, and it makes it even harder. So a lot of those generalists, they don't even know where to start, right? As you mentioned, there's no such thing as an email education, right? So you have to be motivated to learn as you go along. And if you're a marketing unicorn, you're wearing all these hats. Where are you really going to invest your energy? It's difficult, but the power of email for B2B is immense if you're doing it right. And I find that B2B marketers, they sometimes struggle with creativity and how to really elicit engagement and sometimes don't understand the fundamentals of the life cycle and that a very simple exercise of just creating campaigns that align with each step in the journey, that's that's your starting point for your life cycle marketing. And, and it can be such a collaborative thing. It can be so powerful, but again, it's disrespected, underutilized. Yeah. But if you are a B2B marketing generalist, this is definitely where you need to turn your attention. Uh, and also since you can't yeah. necessarily directly tie a big win back to email, it's a contributor, right? You're working in tandem with sales. Yeah. That often is also an obstacle. Sales accomplished something, but can we quantify the marketing impact on that? It's difficult yeah. to do. That's true. Cause it's seen more as a medium, right? Or a, that's bridging the source to the actual conversion at the end of the day versus driving the conversion itself in some cases. Right. It's often seen as a necessary evil. It can be kind of cast off to someone who's kind of junior and like, oh, you figure this out, this email thing. And there are just these one-off ad hoc product announcements. And you don't really see a cohesive strategy because it's hard to get that foundational education to understand those fundamentals. Speaking of, I know that you have educated many, many, many people and especially women of email, of course. Where have you done that? And where can people who want to get better and sharpen their marketing chops in the email world, where can they go nowadays just to, to get that skill refined? I have been presenting three and four hour email workshops since 2017, and the majority of them have been with Digital Summit. So if you go to digitalsummit.com, yeah. you'll see all of the upcoming events they have for 2023. Uh, I am stepping back 
uh, while I'm, I'm, I'm taking a little sabbatical right now. So I don't have any workshops on the calendar currently, and it's TBD when I'll be going back to that. But I would definitely check out Digital Summit. I have presented in dozens of cities since 2017. Uh, Michael Barber, who's another incredible thought leader in the email space, also has presented a number of workshops for Digital Summit, and he may be presenting this year and beyond. I'm not really sure, but they know at Digital Summit that people are just jonesing for that email education. And so they are prioritizing email content. So I would look there and I've done a lot of private workshops, uh, both virtual and live. And those are really fun, especially when they are intimate. So uh, I was working with an ESP uh, uh, automation platform called Influence, which uh, by the way is an incredible platform for B2B, (laughs) a a great cross-channel platform, very user-friendly and and really can empower you to take advantage of of all your data and and drive personalization and really drive results with great lead scoring and personalized landing pages and so forth. Influence, it's called? EM Fluence, EM Fluence. I've done a, a number of private events with them and I'm sure I've given this workshop elsewhere. Oh, I've, I've done like abbreviated versions for marketing props. Uh, ah. It's hard to remember all of the places that I have presented the workshop. And I, I also do a number of 30 minute sessions, uh, 45 minute sessions, hour, one hour sessions. I've kind of been here, there and everywhere. Okay. I have started compiling a worksheet of, or, or a spreadsheet rather, of like yeah. everything, all the webinars, all of the workshops, all of the presentations, and it's hundreds of appearances at this point. Amazing. So I would follow say me on the socials. Just, yeah. And Google <laughs> Jen Capstraw videos and, and start studying everybody. And then next year after she's back from sabbatical, then work one-to-one and reach out. That would be great. Awesome. And I'm going to check out Influence. I'll put that in the show notes too, once I get a link for that. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan. It's like a, it's um, HubSpot tends to be among the leaders when it comes to email and cross-channel. And this is a very worthy competitor. HubSpot, great solution. Influence yeah. also a really great under the radar solution. Um, family owned company in Kansas City. Oh, and I, I love the product and I love the team. Cool. Golden nugget. I hadn't heard of them. So, and good timing for me actually, because we're evaluating. So nice. <laughs> there's two things I want to dive into for, that you just touched on and then a million more things, of course, but I read um, in something um, online, some article that, that where you were interviewed on the importance of investing in yourself. And when you're talking about digital summit and conferences that you're speaking at, and I'm sure that you attended as well, even before you were speaking there, can you go talk to us a little bit more about that? Because I am sure many struggle with that of investing in themselves, going to these conferences out of pocket or not, and what you actually can gain from that and why we need to go to more conferences and events and and learn always. I guess I kind of have to reach back into my personal history to give you some perspective on my relationship with money. I grew up in a lower income home. I was in uh, Section 8 housing for a period of my childhood, and we were able to move into a middle class family life and have the privileges and advantages that come with that. But having a parent that had nothing at certain points Mm -hmm. in my mom's life, it drove a certain mentality toward money and that it is something to be hoarded and not something to be spent. And that spending it on certain things is unwise. Things like 
paying your own way to go to a conference. That's unwise because your employer should be paying for that. And yes, in an ideal world, your employer should be paying for that. They should be nurturing your growth as a professional. But we all know the reality is sometimes there's no budget for that. Or sometimes they won't even consider budget for that. And so what do you do? Do you just not take advantage of the opportunities to uh, learn and to network and to accelerate your career because your employer is not paying for it. Who are you hurting by making that decision? And so then as uh, in my early thirties, I was actually in a really devastating accident. I crushed my right ankle and my left wrist in a moped accident. It was a head-on collision with a minivan. And I was out of commission for months. I did not come home for months. I lived in hospitals. I lived in nursing homes. I had multiple surgeries. I had to learn how to walk again. And I ended up the company I was working for, and it was a B2B company. I was leading like a whole new website and email project for them. I actually just completed when the accident happened and it was automated and it was running and becoming successful in my absence. And I was on food stamps when I came home because that co- my company didn't have a disability insurance policy. Yeah. And so I was, I made no money during that time that I couldn't work. And I, I was really struggling and I couldn't perform certain tasks. I couldn't clean my home. I couldn't do my laundry. I, I couldn't go grocery shopping. And this was 12 years ago, coming up on 13 this year. And I was in a financial mess. I also was left with $30,000 in debt from a divorce a couple of years earlier. So I'm in this financial mess and the debt collectors start calling in the hospitals and the nursing homes and all the medical providers want their money. And it felt very unfair and devastating. But one day I woke up and I had this kind of light bulb moment. Like I want to be happy. I want the happiest, most fulfilling life I can have for my, for myself. And I'm responsible for that. Nobody's coming to fix this for me. There's not going to be a relief because it's, I've faced so many unfair things. And so I made a plan to fix my life and I made a spreadsheet. I downgraded my living, my lifestyle. I found a job that paid better. I lost that job that I, I was hell bent on finding one that paid even more than that one because I had been undercompensated for so many years. And, but during that period of unemployment after I thought I was getting on my feet and on track. And then I had this setback where I lost my job within 90 days of starting it. Um, I still needed more physical therapy. I could not walk downstairs forward facing. The only way I could get downstairs at that point in time was sideways. And that is not the life I want to live. I wanted to have a normal life. I don't want people to look at me on the streets and they were looking at me. (laughs) That's a whole story in and of itself. So because I had the time, but I didn't have health insurance because I had lost my job, I paid out of pocket to learn how to walk down the stairs. And how do you put a price tag on learning to walk downstairs? Well, I can tell you the price tag was $13,000. Wow. That is what I paid out of pocket to learn how to walk downstairs. Now, most people would say, well, if my insurance isn't covering this or I don't have insurance, then I'm simply not going to do it right? Life is unfair. I am a victim. This is, these are my circumstances. This is what I'm, I'm stuck with. And I am relentless and I'm, I'm not going to let anything stand in my way if I put my mind to it. And I wanted to walk down the stairs. Yeah. I had credit. So I just put it on a credit card. And that was really the beginning of a whole new perspective on what is money and what is it for? 
and there's value in spending it on yourself. So I can walk down the stairs. Most people cannot tell that I have a physical disability. Wow. And sometimes when I am on a stage, I am in excruciating pain, but I'm I'm day. doing what I love. Yes, to this day, it is a permanent injury. And it's called a pilon fracture, my ankle injury. It's very rare. It's something that like rock climbers get when they have a fall. Wow. Um, I'm in a support community. The most athletic people in my community, my support community for this injury, they will often amputate electively because it gives them more physical freedom to pursue their passions. Um, I was on the brink of potentially being amputated. They always try to salvage the limb and see if you can have a more normal life because most people don't want to be missing a limb. And I was not supposed to recover at the level I did. But again, I just kept spending my money, going to physical therapy. And whenever I felt there was an opportunity to make gains, I spent the money. I spent it. Sometimes it was partially covered by insurance. Sometimes it was not. So it really shaped my relationship with money. I had a new perspective on what money was and what an investment in self truly was. So then as I pursued this career in email and wanted to start positioning myself as a thought leader, I explained to my employer that that was something that I wanted. And I was working at Adobe at the time, and they did give me an opportunity to speak at a conference. And that was it. It was one and done. But I was so passionate about it. And people in my network knew I was passionate about it. And I've got a background in broadcast journalism. I am a storyteller. I love talking about things that are interesting to me. And I can get weirdly enthusiastic about whatever it is that I am (laughs) focused on. And so, you know, I I feel like I do have a talent for getting people excited about email, but I I didn't have those opportunities. Adobe was like, well, we're not going to spend money on you speaking and attending conferences. So, but they said, you can do anything you want on your own time and on your own dime. And so I started taking advantage of these opportunities and paid out of pocket to build my credibility, to, to build my experience and until I became in demand. So it worked and A lot of people, it it wouldn't be the right choice for them. It depends on what are your goals? What what do you really want to accomplish? And what is it worth to you? If you spend X amount of money, what is the potential ROI on that? It's just like your marketing campaigns and the technology stack you invest in. If I spend X money on this, what do I stand to gain in return? And what I stood to gain in return was a career as a MarTech evangelist which paid a heck of a lot more than email (laughs) marketing strategy. Uh, And it was a huge goal. And so it got me there. I made the investment and the ROI followed. And even if you just want to build your network and be educated at these events, it's okay to spend the money. It's okay to reach into your own pocket. We have a tendency to go, no, I can't. Yeah. And in most cases- you can. Women of Email does have a scholarship program where we work with conference organizers to distribute free passes to select events that we partner with. And we have an application process. We prioritize people who are from marginalized groups or people who have a needs-based situation. And we distribute those passes. uh, And we also match speakers with opportunities as well. And we're trying to help women get more access to those events. But it's difficult, right? Because sometimes the the cost of travel can be a lot. And we struggle with that idea of spending money because it just 
maybe it's women more than men. It's yeah. just really been hammered into our head. You don't spend money on that. That yeah. is wasteful. It's not, it's just like, yeah. yeah, it's spending money on your college degree right? or some kind of certification. It is an investment in self. And one event, just one event, even as an attendee can radically change the trajectory of your career. If you yeah. network effectively, you make some personal connections, you learn something new, you feel really inspired. It can go such a long way. And, and I feel the same way about resume writers and career coaches spend the money yes. because their the ROI is absolutely there. Yeah. It's, and it's multifold, right? It's that you, you go there to learn because there's amazing speakers like you, especially the hands-on workshops where you can really get into something and come out just more advanced in whatever skill you are working on. And then of course, to network and meet people that has become so huge and building your own community, which we can get into more. And then see if you're, if you're interested in becoming a speaker as well, you have to learn how and follow and learn who you want to follow and admire at these events and see firsthand what to do, what not to do and meet people to become a speaker at the next opportunity, right? So you have to go there and that's the first step to trying it out. Or even virtually, if you don't physically, then there's a lot of good virtual shows as well where you can start to test that out, still get the learning piece. Some have some um, pretty okay networking components online, but it's a little harder than when you're in in-person events for sure. I love Agree. that. Thank you for sharing the story. You're, I'm sure you have many, but it's amazing how your relationship <laughs> with, with finances changed from that. I hate to say that expression that everything happens for a reason because some things you just can't really tie that, right? But it's this event just formed who you are today and changed your perspective on so many things that brought you to where you are today to help other people see this differently as well and learn to invest in themselves. Because you're right, if you don't spend the money on yourself, where does it go? It, like think about priorities and where you should really be thinking first about your advancement. And ROI doesn't have to be directly tied one-to-one, -one, right? Where you're looking at the dollars that come in and out. It's an investment over time. Um, in a lot of ways and building your, your personal brand and just your experience and it'll come back tenfold over time. Absolutely. And if you are passionate about speaking and you find yourself in a situation where uh, an organization is not going to pay you for your time to prepare that content, to present that content, or they're not even going to pay your way, your travel, that is definitely an obstacle. And that is, that has been the industry norm and event organizers have been kind of capitalizing on, on free talent for a, a very long time. And that is the reality of where we're at right now. I am doing my best to start advocating for change with the organizers that women of email partners with. There is an event called Unspam that's put together by really good emails that has normalized a $1,000 honorarium for speakers plus their travel expenses. And so we are trying to help be a part of industry change and start getting speakers some level of compensation or at least a break-even financial situation mm -hmm. if they are creating and presenting content. I mean, to be honest, it's, it's not fair right now. It's really not. I struggle with the idea of, have I been complicit in normalizing this? And that's something I'm, I'm grappling with right now, but I am going, I am making it a priority to help normalize that and to help bring and cultivate that change 
but it is going to be slow going. And so I would, again, encourage people to give consideration to reaching into your own pocket. If this is something that's a priority to you, if this is something that is going to give you some credibility that takes you to the next level or an educational experience and networking experience that could kind of take you in a new direction, do it, spend the money. No, it's not fair, but this is where we are right now. So work with what you've got and you could potentially become part of that movement for change once you do start developing that visibility and credibility. Yeah. I love that. And similarly, because we, we've touched on this a few times and I want to get into women of email community. There's so many, and tell me with women of email, is it a paid community or is it free for membership? Because there's so many communities out there right now that so many amazing ones that I've recently joined. And there's a lot of big paid players and there's a lot of new starting out membership communities that are, that are free to join. And there's a whole gamut in between. So if you tell me a little bit about women of email and again, is it what should people consider when investing in themselves on a community side too, in addition to events? Women of email is free. I would not discourage anyone from paying for a premium community. It could be a very worthwhile investment. It may or may not be in your budget. Yeah. Find out if you have contacts in those communities and if you're really going to get value out of it. But if it seems like a really good fit, it's okay to spend the money. And so no disrespect to any of those communities. Women of email was identifying a problem where women were disadvantaged as in the industry. There's a wage gap. There was a lack of representation of female thought leaders in a niche that is about 50-50 split between men and women. So there's no explanation for why men were dominating the conversation other than they were speaking up, they were stepping up probably due to how they were socialized and event organizers that whenever they're men, their network tends to be male dominated. That's who they're going to be placing. And they're not necessarily thinking about gender diversity, or at least they weren't back then. And we saw that like women really needed a hand in, in getting greater visibility. The wage gap is predominantly the biggest problem is that women are not ascending to the most senior levels of leadership. It's called the broken rung theory. So you're not ascending in many cases beyond the manager level. So at, once you get to manager, you see fewer women getting to director. And then you see even fewer women getting to VP. And then you see even fewer women getting to the C-suite. And so that is the biggest contributor to the wage gap in the email industry, more so than men simply negotiating more money than women. And so the women who really needed women of email the most to be networked and to feel supported and to have opportunities right in front of them, you know, such as speaking at these events, attending these events, uh, attending meetups and so forth, they don't necessarily have the funds, right? They are already disadvantaged. Wow. And so why should they have to spend more? So we have been operating on donations since our founding. Well, I, I've actually personally funded our operations for the first couple of years, well, the majority of them. And then we started doing some fundraising. So it is free to everyone. We feel like the industry should pay for this. The industry has a yeah. stake in advancing DEI in the industry. So let them pay. These tech companies have money, right? Yeah. And of course we accept donations from members and allies. And ironically, our biggest donors are men or uh, companies led by men and men making the decision 
to make those donations. So yeah. we would not be where we are without the profound support of our male allies. So to answer your question, it is free. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> free. We are best known for our Facebook group and the community there, but we have a lot of programming as well. And you have to complete a profile on our website in order to get on our mailing list and to be aware of the programs that are available to you. And again, because it is completely funded by donations, it is also currently volunteer run. So that means eh, we do what we can with what we've got. Yeah. And I have a vision for so much more and making some changes over this year to help get us there. It's very much a work in progress, but we relaunched our live meetups. We are always placing speakers at uh, conferences, webinars, and other events. And uh, every now and then we get those scholarship opportunities. So uh, if you want to have visibility to all of that, or we've, we've also had some webinar programming that was career oriented. If you want to be on the list for that, you've got to complete your member profile. So yeah. do that, but you can take advantage of our community on Facebook uh, without doing that, if that's your preference. Amazing. I just joined the Facebook group. I think it was the speaker last week, and it's one of those rare few where there's a lot of engagement with really smart people who you want to learn from. So I definitely recommend everyone in email, check it out. Uh, lots to learn from everyone, from Jen and from everyone in the community. Very, very cool. <laughs> yeah. And it is hard to cultivate that level yes. of engagement, especially over the long term. Believe yes. it or not, I have been in leadership positions in virtual women's organizations going back to 2001, before we even use the word community to describe that. So I got involved with a virtual alumni chapter for my sorority. Yeah. And sidebar, I've got some very strong feelings about the role of Greek life today. Um, <laughs> but truth of the matter is I joined a sorority in the 90s. I did get uh, create a lot of meaningful connections and friendships as a result of that. I'm still semi-involved to this day, but um, not a champion of Greek life in on modern campuses. And I was in a leadership role in this, this online group. And the group is called Surfing Sisters because we were surfing the web around <laughs> Y2K and, and people don't even know what surfing means anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we had this little virtual alumni chapter and I was, I, I led philanthropy and fundraising for years and uh, communications and outreach to membership for a few years. And I saw the cycles of women's communities and the way that, uh, you know, how to maintain that level of enthusiasm and positive sentiment, what to do when there's negative sentiment, and then conflict will arise. There's gonna be drama and it feels like such a big deal in the moment and then it always blows over. So I, having all of that experience going back over 20 years at this point really helped prepare me to guide this community toward being something truly valuable. There was also just such a need for it. Women didn't have a safe space. There were other communities where women were being attacked and insulted for presenting divergent points of view, uh, including myself. I had like a bunch of men gang up on me in an online community, a paid community. Wow. And I thought it was hilarious that these, these angry good old boys felt so threatened by an offhanded comment that was rooted in logic. Um, yeah. And, you know, it turns out I wasn't the only one, but I am rare in the fact that 
that's not going to dissuade me, right? Yeah. Most people are going to be very devastated if their professional point yeah. of view is attacked, especially by people who are industry veterans and people did not feel safe asking what they thought maybe were stupid questions. And we created that. We were the first to create that. And now there's another community, Email Geeks. It's a Slack group. It is approximately twice as big as Women of Email, which makes a lot of sense because it's going to welcome people of any gender. And um, they, there's a lot of similarities in the way that the community is nurtured and what is allowed and what is not allowed. No assholes allowed. No yeah. hostility allowed. We're not going to play that game. They're, they don't yeah. tolerate it. We don't tolerate it. This is a supportive community. And we made some mistakes along the way. And when we saw kind of like negative, critical behaviors erupting and kind of becoming normalized, uh, eventually there was that moment of, wait, this is not good for us. And we've got to Im implement some new policies. We've got to guide people toward healthier a conversation. And especially if you're hearing from the community, Hey, I don't like this and this and this, yeah. like, take it to heart. That you know? mm -hmm. <laughs> Make some, sometimes people are just cranky complainers. Sometimes they're making very valid points. So yeah, women needed a place where they felt safe to discuss anything related to their career, related to email. We even allow off topic conversation. It's not Nice. It's not not allowed to talk about literally anything in our community. Yeah. And unless it gets completely derailed, then there's no reason for us to implement a change to that. So we actually have not been talking so much about women's issues lately, which has me thinking I need to start introducing more of those conversations. It's it's gotten yeah. really focused on on job seeking in this moment. Oh, yes. So yeah, conversations are very cyclical in communities. They just kind of evolve with time. Yeah. Interesting to see that. Have you ever had to kick somebody out of your community or do you try to coach them through how to interact with the community first? I'm trying to think, I don't think we ever removed anyone, okay. but we have had people remove themselves. Okay. And it was in response to their behavior being corrected by the community yep. and they have just kind of stepped Leave away. Leave in a huff. Yep. I guess. So, sometimes in a huff. Dramatic um, exit. <laughs> sometimes very dramatic exits, but I don't think that we have ever removed anyone. If we did, it was because they were soliciting okay, via DMs. Fair. I'm not sure if we ever pulled the trigger on that. We may have, but we've never, and, and that's just, that's not cool, right? You can't just go like, oh, I can see that this person is talking about looking for a new vendor. I'm going to cross-reference their name now on LinkedIn. Now I'm going to slide into their DMs and try and sell them a marketing automation solution. That's not okay. Yeah. So yeah. if we have removed anyone, it was for that. And I haven't had any sales complaints probably in two years at this point, yeah. uh, but just violating the rules of the org. I don't think outside of solicitation, I don't think we've had yeah. to remove anyone that I can think of. Amazing. I mean, that speaks volumes to the quality of the community that you've built. Um, one other thing I want to dive into that you just touched on, and it goes into a story that you planted a seed on before we went live um, about confronting a boss that ended in, in you getting fired. <laughs> But you mentioned just in this story just now that you got into a scuffle, let's say, uh, online in a community, a paid community, where it was the good old boys versus your comment that just sparked what, like wildfire. 
how do you thicken or how can we thicken our skin to be able to deal with that the way you did where it didn't it you were able to just hold your your own and discuss logically your side of things and now have this story but it didn't break you down or make you second guess yourself how do you thicken that skin and i'm sure that will lead into this story that i want to hear all about that's a good question that's hard to answer because I have irrational self-confidence. I've got that freakish self-confidence of a mediocre white man in America. And (laughs) there is no explanation for it. But because I, I had some disadvantages as a kid, as a teenager, I discovered pretty quickly that things did not fall in my lap. Nothing was coming to me easily. And if I wanted something, I had to stand up and say it. And I just never stopped. And I get pushed back and I get knocked down and I do not get what I want most of the time. But for some reason, there's just something relentless in me that does not take no for an answer. Now, I am open to other points of view. I want to learn from other people, but the problem in that specific instance where I was being attacked in this community was that I was a a newcomer at that point and they were hostile to anyone who was Mm. not them, right? They did not embrace new ideas, new points of view, new people. There was this sense of exclusivity when the world was trending toward inclusion. And I have discovered that I learn from the people who are younger than me. I don't learn anything from the people who are older than me at this point. They're not innovating. They don't have fresh perspectives and new points of view. It's the millennials that I've been learning from. And now Gen Z that I'm starting to learn from because they see things through a whole new lens. They bring a whole different set of problem solving with different perspective to the table. And I just need to sit and listen and embrace and validate them. That is my role as an industry elder is validation and helping them build themselves up as professionals. I don't want to push them back. I don't want to insult their ideas because they are different from mine. I love it when somebody says, I think that this point of view is outdated and stupid and here's why. And it could be something that I've said a thousand times on a stage. And I'm like, oh, good point. I love this. (laughs) I love being challenged when it comes, when someone comes equipped with, with talking points and data points and fresh perspective and that I might not have as someone who's just kind of old and lame at this point. So that was a problem is is that they weren't being welcomed. So look for communities where you are being nurtured and respected, because it does not matter if you have been in your career for 15 years or 15 minutes, your point of view is valid and you have a story to tell based on your experiences. And literally anyone can be a thought leader. If you decide I am going to be a thought leader, or even I am a thought leader, I am an expert. You all have had experiences. You all have a point of view. All of it is valid, but you should also be learning and evolving and challenging your own point of view as you go along. So have, find a place where you are being nurtured in that way. So your confidence is being built up and you can tell people to suck it if they are being garbage humans and disrespectful and unwelcoming to a different point of view. Find champions in your company, work for managers that are going to support you and clear roadblocks and and push you forward rather than micromanaging you. You have to cultivate your own career 
where you are feeling emotionally supported and professionally supported. So I've been told I'm kind of a professional pep talker. I mean, I'm <laughs> clapping the whole time you're talking. You're, you are definitely motivating. I love this. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, just tell the patriarch you suck it. That's what yeah. I did. <laughs> And stand your own and be open to, to other perspectives. I love that too, because you want to set your own example. Going back to kind of the golden rule, Castro was, was talking about this with me in our, our last episode, but it's just do unto others as you want done unto you, right? So setting that example when people come, I love that if, if somebody comes and gives you a new perspective and they completely go against what you said and your, your reaction is not to argue, your reaction is, oh, good point. It's mm -hmm. so refreshing. And it's a good reminder that we can, we should be that way. And it will probably create more of that in our life too. I love that. I have literally invited my audience to challenge me in real time while I'm on the stage. Yeah. I'm doing four hours of email strategy. Kind of the, the root message for my workshop is you need to challenge the best practices. You need to challenge what you're reading and hearing about email marketing or any channel. And what I'm saying is not absolute gold. It's not correct for every audience under every circumstance. This is my point of view based on my experiences. And if you disagree, raise your hand or just shout. Yeah. <laughs> Jen, I don't think so. I love yeah. it. I love it when they give me a whole different point of view or they yeah. explain a context in which a certain idea just didn't apply to them or their audience. So yeah, challenge, challenge all the information that's out there. Challenge people like me. It's valuable to everyone. It's yeah. what drives our industry forward. It's different points of view. No one knows everything. Yeah. Certainly not Be me. Open to challenges. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although maybe you do. <laughs> After nah. this episode, I feel you might. <laughs> Tell us now, I know we only have a few minutes left if you're okay to, to stay on for a little bit more. The story about your then previous boss. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, did I derail that whole question? All right, we're back to it now. Uh, so I mentioned I started my career in TV and radio. And then the reason that I moved into a marketing role was because I could not perform to my best ability in a relationship. I got married and I couldn't devote myself to my work in the way that I needed to, to be successful. I had to be in bed by 7.30 at night. I had to be up by 4.30 in the morning and I had to be on fire by six o'clock in the morning. And that meant I couldn't go out. I couldn't party. I couldn't go on dates. I had to really be focused on being on and it wasn't conducive to that relationship. So I quit a career that was like really on track. It didn't pay very well, but on paper, I was wildly successful at a very young age and potentially could have taken that somewhere. So I switched to um, marketing and communications and I ended up working, this was my first B2B job at uh, a, a janitorial packaging and paper supply distribution company. This was the Dunder Mifflin of the Southeast, <laughs> literally. It was the least sexy 
job I've probably ever had. And I used to clean yogurt machines in college. (laughs) So they were doing a bunch of acquisitions of similar companies throughout the Southeast. They were rebranding and I was the marketing generalist that was coordinating this and working with the agency that they had brought on to lead the brand overhaul. Mm-hmm. And to like launch the first website and the new logo and all of the stuff. And one facet of the job was media relations. Now, everything I was doing, I had a huge learning curve, right? I didn't know anything about branding. I didn't know anything about marketing. I'm learning as I go along, doing the best mm-hmm. I can. But there was one thing I had absolute confidence in, and it was media relations, Right. I had just literally a few months earlier gone home with a stack of Associated Press Awards. I was the press. I knew what how to write a press release. I knew how to get the attention of reporters, even if it was for Dunder Mifflin of the Southeast. I could do that. It was the only thing I had 100 percent absolute confidence in my capabilities in that job. And I wrote a press release and I gave it to the president of the company and I knew it was good. And he read through it and he was like, hmm, well, Jennifer, and I hate being called Jennifer, you know, my son is a journalism student at the University of Alabama. And I think I'd really like to get his perspective on this before we send it to the press. (laughs) And I lost my mind. Yeah. Like I had been dealing with a lot of bias and discrimination up to that point. And it had just been a few months in this job. And it was a nightmare from right out of the gate because I'd come from an industry where I could only be judged by the quality of my work, by the sound of my voice, by the, by commanding a certain amount of authority. And I clearly was good enough at that to be recognized by the Associated Press. And now I'm like a marketing coordinator in some idiot from Alabama is second guessing my ability to write a press release. The one thing that I had absolute confidence in. And I, I just, I, that was it for me. And I screamed in his face. The student was going to do it. (laughs) A, A teenage boy had greater authority than me in this scenario. And I lost it. And I screamed, you're a sexist, you're a sexist, you're a sex. I don't even know how many times I said it, but I yelled it at the top of my lungs in his office because I had had it. I just could not believe the level of disrespect. I later learned I have ADHD and I'm a little impulsive, but I'm also, I'm not afraid to take risks, but I had no self-control in that moment. I certainly did not think it through. It must've felt good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I yelled so loud that it was, it was just like my whole body was screaming. Yeah. I can only think of one other time in my life that I did that. And a few days later, he called me into his office and he's like, we're not going to be needing you at the company anymore. I'm surprised oh, it was a few days later. you gotta talk to legal you gotta like weigh your options and and i had the president of the company also owned the radio group that i had worked for not the president this was the president that i yelled at the ceo and so i think that he was a little worried 
because there was some previous relationship there. He owned the radio group. He, you know, helped me get this job to transition into marketing. And my ex-husband worked for the company as well. So it was a little complicated, thorny situation. But here's what happened. They paid me to leave. Wow. They're like, (laughs) we're going to make this easy for you. Here is money. Because and to avoid probably a legal situation after, mm-hmm. That. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, wow. and it doesn't even matter if it, under any circumstances you leave a company unwillingly. There's always an opportunity to negotiate a little bit of money on the way out the door under any circumstances, even if they're extremely positive, uh, yeah. depending on the company. And that is when I learned I can get paid to go away. and I have no regrets. Now I was uh, really uh, devastated and frightened to be unemployed, but uh, I do not regret doing that. And that's probably surprising to a lot of people. I have no regrets calling out injustices. And, and it's something that I've done in the email industry. And certainly there are people that find me threatening for that, for threatening the status quo, disrupting power structures, introducing new ideas to the industry and elevating a lot of diverse thought leadership talent, including myself, right? Yeah. Different points of views and um, really pushing companies toward inclusion at their events. Let's see, we normalize gender diversity on stage in short order, like within a year of launching Women of Email, that became normalized. So people who are upholding status quos are going to feel threatened, but the world needs lunatics like me who are just going (laughs) to speak their truths and are incapable of doing anything else. I do not recommend that everybody scream at the top of their lungs at anyone. Up and sidebar, my now ex-husband, we didn't speak for over a decade, He called me during lockdown and he wanted to tell me I was right. I was right. I did deal with discrimination in that job. I did suffer from bias in my career during our marriage. And he had privilege that I did not. And then he mansplained privilege to me, which was, wow, (laughs) that was something special. But it took him 20 years to recognize what had truly happened and to validate my point of view and to not blame me for having an absolute freak out. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I mean, Jen, the number of times that you've given me goosebumps on this call (laughs) is great. I don't know if you know the podcast, um, Marketing Millennials. It's also a community, but the host there always says stories or it didn't happen. You are a hundred (laughs) percent stories. You have a story for everything. And I love it. Thank you for sharing so much today. I I appreciate it so much. I have a million things I want to dive in more here on this, this paper full of highlights and notes, but (laughs) one last thing, just to respect your time. What is one thing I'm excited to hear this, that you would tell your younger self, if you could in relation to your career or marketing or email specifically, however specific you want to get, what would you tell your younger self just getting into sending that first email in 2002? I definitely, I want to validate that poor girl. (laughs) You know, I, I had a certain sense of self and uh, an idea of what was righteous in this world as a young person. And it was kind of beat out of me over time. And I started subscribing to status quos. And then somehow after my divorce, 
I won 80. I came back and I came back swinging. So we, Jen, young Jen, hot-headed Jen who screams in men's faces, I would tell her, <laughs> girl, you're right. Don't second guess it. And I always had huge ambitions. I would encourage myself to dream even bigger. Yeah. The one thing that I really did struggle with for a long time that took me a long time to figure out was when I was looking for new opportunities, why I wasn't attracting them. When I was in really unhappy professional situations, I was not in the right headspace to get something new. And I just was putting negative energy in the world. And I was first runner up for a lot of things. And I got trapped in a job that just wasn't right for me. Mm. And I was in this downward spiral. If I felt that I could just walk away and take the time to improve my headspace and to become more positive about finding new opportunities, because I, I knew that I had talent. I knew I could do incredible things, but I, I had this negative energy that was repelling those opportunities. And the reason I had it was because I was in these bad work environments and, and concurrently I was in a bad marriage. And so I was repelling opportunity and I just wish there would be some way that I could have avoided that. That lesson was very difficult and it affected me financially in a compounding way. And I see it a lot with other women who are really frustrated and need to move on from something, but they feel that they can't leave without something new and they can't understand why first interviews aren't turning into second interviews or why they're first runner up instead of getting the offer. And there is just something about the cosmic energy you are putting out in the world yeah. Like you have to take care of yourself and have a, a really, I, I don't know, like a, a positive perspective on the possibilities before you can attract really good opportunities into your life. Wow. I love that, especially right now when so many are job hunting and experiencing exactly that, where they're just not getting the callbacks or they're sending a million applications and, and not getting any responses or they're that runner up. So such timely advice. And what do you think they should do to, to work on themselves and, and get in the right headspace to put the right energy out there? Well, adjacent to that energy is how are you positioning your personal brand? What is on your resume and what is on your LinkedIn? Mm. And as marketers, like we're pretty good at creating a good resume, but women of email members know that I will just never stop telling people to outsource your resume creation to a professional. And it is a lot of work for you. You're not just like handing it over to someone to spice it up. It is a, a very interactive process. And you actually start realizing how many successes you've actually had because they're challenging you to detail your contributions so that they can spin it into the value you can deliver to a new company. So outsourcing to a resume writer, it's going to produce a better resume. It's going to get you more interviews. It's going to get you faster interviews. It's going to get you opportunities with better companies. And the ROI is there. It's one of those things you should invest in 100%. And they can be expensive depending on your professional level, like up to $1,000 potentially, yeah. but much cheaper if it, you're earlier in your career. And that exercise 
actually, man, it'll make you feel good. You look at your new resume and you're like, damn, I am a baller. So that is um, beneficial in two ways. But also if you are in a truly, truly toxic work environment, stop telling yourself you can't leave. Mm -hmm. You can, you have to figure out how you have to figure out what you're going to do but you can leave and you have to leave because it's not just affecting your career and your possibility of getting a better opportunity. It is affecting every facet of your life, right? It is affecting your relationships. It is affecting your physical and mental health. If it is a deeply, deeply toxic situation and you have to get out and women are always telling me, I can't, I can't, I can't. Well, guess what? I crashed my moped into a minivan and I was on food stamps. You will never be at the depths of failure that I was at. You'll never have to climb out of a hole that deep. Mm-hmm. So it, you can do this and you can survive it. If I can survive that, you can find a way to take two months off, to pull yourself together, to rehabilitate your perspective and invite opportunity and positivity back into your life. And you are worth it. That again, there's ROI in taking that risk and spending that money. Even if you have to put it on a credit card, that's what credit is for when you have emergencies and you need it. And that is an emergency. It Mm -hmm. absolutely is. Mm -hmm. Ending on goosebumps yet again, Jen. I mean, it flies in the face of of conventional wisdom and financial wisdom that's been the status quo. No, put it on a credit card. Put it on a credit card. You're worth it. Do it. it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's amazing advice for everybody. So appreciate it. I've loved this conversation. I hope to have you on again. I hope to talk to you offline. I think I just, I want to be you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. You don't. <laughs> I'm definitely going to channel more Jen in my day to day. So Aww. I have loved meeting you and chatting with you today. Shout out to Kestrel for introducing us. I so appreciate it. And Isn't thank you for just best? spreading your wisdom. She is. But thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jen. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember to, to like, subscribe, download, share, friend, review, any love you can share. We appreciate it at Women in B2B Marketing. Thank you, Jen. Thanks, Jane. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>